For ages, man has been taught to push and plan for what he wants to achieve. We strive to succeed by exerting our will. Hard work, drive, and a must-do attitude is what we're told it takes to make it in this world. Dr. Jacob Lieberman, a consciousness researcher and perennial philosopher, says we've got it all wrong. Somehow, in the process of looking, we stop seeing. With the push to succeed, success often eludes us. What are we missing? Lieberman feels that what we see as fundamental in nature is much more. That which begins with understanding the light. Not just the light that we gaze when the sun is shining, but that which also emanates from within. But there's much more to light than meets the eye, literally. What we're talking about here is the ultimate connection between light, vision, and consciousness, and a true recognition as to who and what we really are. In his book, Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living, Lieberman brilliantly distills this idea from both a scientific and spiritual perspective. And with that, he leaves us with a renewed sense of life but viewed in ways never experienced before. You know, it's not often that you find an individual who is not only succinct in their message, but poetic and inspirational in tone. Someone who leaves the listener with serious pause for thought. Well, I have with me today one of those rare individuals, and his name is Dr. Jacob Lieberman, a powerful messenger. He is a doctor of optometry and a pioneering researcher in the field of consciousness with an emphasis on light and vision, but in ways not ordinarily approached by the mainstream. His book, Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living is truly a feast for the soul, as he invites the reader on a journey of beauty and self-discovery, using light as the primary entry point. I know this is going to be a treat for us all. So welcome, Jacob Lieberman, to Higher Journeys. I've so been looking forward to having you join us all the way from sunny Maui, Hawaii. Aloha. <laughs> aloha, aloha, nui loa. It's wonderful to be here with you today. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. I can't either. Well, you know, we've been chatting uh, for a few minutes before we got online. So I think we can just dive dive right in. But you had asked me uh, a question that I uh, as to how I first uh, learned of your work. And I will tell the journeyers, I call my audience the journeyers, that I had uh, first had the pleasure of hearing you on another podcast that I truly love. And that's the Higher Side Chats. Plug for Greg Carwood in the Higher Side Chats. And after only about 30 minutes, Jacob, in your talk with Greg, I thought, I've got to have this gentleman on. Well, I have to tell you, synchronistically, when I went to my email to reach out to you, I discovered that your publicity team had reached out to me to have you on the show. And so voila, the, agree the agreement for us to come together gelled very quickly and beautifully. And here you are. So thank you, man. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Oh, well, let's get into a discussion about light. And I know our audience will quickly discover that this is just the entry point. I want to start, Jacob, if I may, with a quote from your book, Luminous Life, to kick off our discussion. Here it is. It says, quote, our physical eyes are designed to see the outer world of form. Our spiritual eyes are designed to see the invisible. When these eyes collaborate fluidly, congruence and coherence meld into one and signal the beginning of a new way of seeing and being. That is presence, end quote. You have a lot yeah. to say about being present and what that truly means. What does light have to do with it all? 
essentially this um, every living thing has a purpose for being and it must fulfill its purpose now humans think oh I have to do something to get somewhere because we don't realize that there's something already animating the movement of this universe there's something that guides birds there's something that guides the development of plants and there's literally something that is continually guiding every aspect of our life and I'm not speaking in a spiritual or metaphysical sense I'm speaking in an absolute actual sense when the Sun rises a plant literally turns itself in order to align itself optimally with the light and then it literally grows toward the light we notice very often we come out in the evening to the front of our homes and we notice that the insects are flying toward the light it seems mm. like light attracts us what we know about the human body is every function of the body every function of the body is light dependent and every cell in the body and there's approximately 37 trillion cells in the body all these cells have eyes that literally detect and respond to the slightest changes in light and keep in mind that even though we think we see light light is actually invisible mm -hmm. so our entire being is designed in such a way that it is guided by subtle changes in light and darkness the changes in the coloration in the atmosphere throughout the day and that is moving us from place to place in order to fulfill our reason for being our purpose for being here and for humans the way that I share about it in the book is notice what's looking for you mm -hmm. because we have such a focus on making things happen and what we want and in the process of looking we stop seeing mm -hmm. and we stop seeing specifically what is actually looking for us in other words what's catching our eye because the eyes don't actually do anything voluntarily everything is a reflex it's an involuntary action that is responding to light grabbing the attention of the eye and so when light strikes the eye the eye reflexively moves towards the light the body aligns itself toward that which is called to it and that literally is the next step of our journey that process where light catches the eye and there's that moment of alignment that's called presence it mm -hmm. isn't a, an act of doing something it's an act of being guided toward the next step of our journey mm -hmm. 
And so what I have been noticing in my life ever since my children were very, very small is that life is looking for us. Yes. Continually guiding us toward that which is what we are here to do, here to accomplish, here to share, so that because each of us is a an integral part of this engine called life. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah. You, you, that message is primary, and in, in the the talks that I've heard you do, as well as the book, that you know we're so intent on looking for and pushing and exerting our will to find whatever it is that we're seeking, and yet the natural process that's really happening is that light light and life and god perhaps source is looking for us so that that is uh ubiquitous in your work and i do appreciate that well listen jacob before we go any further i know you have a powerful backstory as to how you develop such a comprehensive insight pun intended <laughs> on the role that light plays in our lives and i know you've told your personal story many times before but for our audience who may not be familiar with your own personal entry point would you mind giving us a bit of a synopsis about what I would call a peak experience that you had back in 1976? Would you tell us about it? Sure. Um, at that time, I was um, practicing as in the vision care field, both as an optometrist and a vision scientist. And like most eye doctors, I wore glasses. In fact, like most people. <clears throat> and I had been wearing glasses for about nine and a half years in 1976, I was intrigued by the possibility of maybe improving my eyesight naturally, even though I was told it was impossible. Mm. Um, and without my glasses, uh, I could just see the big E on the eye chart. Mm. And so I started doing things like spending time without my glasses on, uh, by trying to wear weaker prescriptions, doing certain vision exercises, and all these things changed, uh, caused some improvement in my eyesight, which at the time I was sure was occurring in the eye or in the vision centers of the brain. However, something happened in 1976. I was um, basically introduced to meditation as a practice in 1971. And so at that time, I was meditating daily. And on this particular Sunday, I sat in my bedroom. I removed my glasses. I closed my eyes. And I just gently entered a meditative experience somewhere in the process it almost seemed like any sense of me disappeared all all there was was an awareness of the room and me in it it was almost as if whatever was seeing was observing Jacob sitting in the room meditating. <laughs> and everything was crystal clear. I don't mean it was just optically clear in my mind's eye. My eyes were closed. Not only did everything appear crystal clear in my mind's eye, but I couldn't discern where the seeing was happening from. It felt as though 
the seeing was happening from every point in the room. And I don't know how to describe that, so I'm just doing the best that I can with it. When I came out of this meditative experience and opened my eyes, everything was crystal clear. I don't mean it was just crystal clear optically. I mean there was a sense that everything in life was clear. Mm-hmm. You know, as sometimes you have questions and so on. Well, the mind was totally silent and it just felt as if everything was known. But there wasn't a knower. There was just a sense of knowing about everything that existed. And as I sat there, and initially I was just in a state of awe, but eventually my mind started to come back in and wonder what was going on here. What caused something like this? Was something terribly wrong? Because this is not supposed to occur. And so, At a certain point, I wasn't sure whether I actually had some something pathological going on because I could not imagine any circumstance that would cause my eyesight to clear up instantaneously. And so out of curiosity and some trepidation, I got into my car with my eyeglasses on the seat next to me because my license said I had to have them to drive. Mm -hmm. And I drove 30 minutes to my office. I sat in my examination chair, which I really never did. And I started projecting different eye charts on the wall 20 feet away. And lo and behold, I was routinely able to see one line better than 2020. Mm -hmm. In other words, my eyesight had miraculously improved by 300% over what I normally saw. This was really astounding to me, so I decided to examine my own eyes, which is not an easy thing to do, because normally when I examine a patient, they're sitting in my chair, I have an instrument in front of their face, I'm asking them, is it better this way or this way, and I can see what's happening you know what kind of lenses I'm having to put in front of their eyes to improve their eyesight well in this case I was behind the seat I was playing with the dials on my instrument but I couldn't tell what was happening and so after I initially measure my eyesight uh, and see that I'm seeing 300% better I'm saying maybe I need to recheck my prescription because I was trained that as the eyes deteriorate, the prescription gets stronger. Mm -hmm. And so if my eyesight improved, maybe my prescription weakened, maybe it disappeared altogether. I mean, I couldn't explain this. So I examined myself and after I finished the exam, I come out from behind the instrument and to my amazement, the prescription in the device is almost identical to the prescription in my eyeglasses. In Hmm. other words, let me see if I can explain this. My eyesight had improved by 300%, 
but the optical measurements of my eyes had not changed at all. Hmm. Now, of course, since we're trained to believe that we see with our eyes, that wouldn't make any sense unless, unless we don't actually see from the eyes alone. Mm-hmm. Maybe the source of our seeing is something different than the eyes. Maybe it's even something different than the brain. Now, that's a, an amazing story, and I spent four years after that doing what I called an experiment on the workings of the mind to try to see if I could determine what created this or how this came about because I had a yearning to be able to share this with the world. Well, sure, of course. But I couldn't actually determine precisely what happened, but I do want to tell you that it's been 42 years, almost 43 years, since that day in 1976. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be 72 in November. Mm. And I have never had a pair of glasses on my face since that day, not only for distance, but as well for reading. And my eye doctors cannot explain it, have never seen anything like it. In the process, I got in touch with the... What, what I feel is the source of our seeing. What is it within our humanity that is noticing all that is? And of course, we think it's, oh, I'm seeing from my eyes. Or, oh, it's my mind's eye. But anyone that has meditated, for instance, or anyone that has experienced chatter in the mind what we call thinking which I frequently refer to as worrying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when chatter is occurring in the mind the only reason that we are aware of that chatter occurring the only reason we can see it if you will is because what is noticing it is not the chatter it's there's something else what I call the final set of eyes that is aware of everything that is occurring all of the time and this part of our humanity this pure awareness has no voice has no desire it doesn't have any preferences it sees non-preferentially it just notices Mm -hmm. and what I have come to uncover uh, since that event in 1976 is that that is the source of our seeing and that is our essential self what some people refer to as a witness and uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson described this very beautifully He said, there's a principle underlying all things. It's a simple, undescribed, undescribable presence residing silently within us. Mm -hmm. My favorite. We are not. 
Yeah, we're not here to do but to let do, not to work but to be worked upon. What Emerson was saying is there's a silent place within us that cannot be described, that literally is the source of everything and is the source of our seeing. (laughs) What Emerson was describing is this place I just described – I also sense that that is exactly what people call God. Absolutely. Mm. You know, that's, yeah. that's the godliness within us. Right, right. I want to comment about Emerson. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling broadly because folks know that I absolutely love the work of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who is a neighbor of mine, at least. <laughs> I'm in Lexington. He's in, he, yeah. he buried in Concord. And I believe uh, what you're referencing came out of his essay, Nature, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure, uh, but it could could the, have been. Yeah, the book that it came on to is called The Gospel of Emerson. Mm-hmm. And it could have that. been nature. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. That That's But fantastic. you know what's interesting is many great uh, individuals have said the same thing. Um, in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus is quoted as saying, and this is a paraphrase, but essentially he said – when you see up is down and down is up, when the outside and the inside are the same, when you see a man as a woman and a woman as a man, then you shall enter the kingdom. In other words, when one is um, witnessing life through a place that has no preferences, no desire, no point of view, that's when we merge mm-hmm. with oneness. That's when we have these extraordinary experience of life that's undescribable. Right. Well, I, I've heard you say it's when we get out of our own way, for sure. And it makes me yeah. think now, maybe I'm distilling this a little bit too much or simplifying, oversimplifying it, but it, it makes me think of uh, our right brain uh, capacity. I, I love quoting my friend and colleague, you may know, Penny Pierce, who's an expert mm-hmm. on, on intuition. And she talks, I, I love this comment that she made, where the left brain is trying to work everything out, trying to figure things out. Uh, what went wrong? What went right? What do I need to do? The right brain is simply going, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, you know, there's a part of us that thinks it knows. Mm-hmm. And there's an aspect of our humanity that knows it knows, but has no idea how, how? Mm-hmm. and doesn't even care. Um, for me, it's not so much one part of the brain as it is another. For me, the brain is merely recording mm-hmm. um, a lot of what we experience. Uh, for me, this... Um, there is a, a merging into oneness that creates this profoundness. And let me see if I can speak about this because <clears throat> people often speak about their ideas of awakening or enlightenment. And, you know, they think, oh, you have to meditate or you need a guru or this or that. But anyone that has fallen in love notices that when we merge or when we are in resonance Hmm. with another individual or an experience 
or anything, when we are just resonated like two identical tuning forks, something expands. And all of a sudden, the two disappear, and all that exists is oneness. And as you know, when, because perhaps, you know, we've all had the experience of what we call falling in love, and all of a sudden, all of our troubles disappear. We're, you know, we may have come in with an ache or a pain or concern about finances, but when we're in that state, some that whole reality of good and bad, and I'm not feeling well, and I don't have enough, just disappears from sight. And in that instance, I think something can profoundly occur within us. Mm-hmm. And so I use the example of falling in love, but I'm not speaking about just falling in love with another. I'm speaking about emerging with life, a harmonious relationship with life itself. And when that occurs, we function in an exquisite state and our wellness and our health expand very, very dramatically. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not speaking theory when I when my first book, Light Medicine of the Future, came out in January of 1991, I was introducing the whole science of light and light therapy to the public. But the underlying theme of the book, the main heart of the message, was that the primary function of light is to continually guide us into a state of oneness with the cosmos, that light is continually guiding our biology so that we are in a harmonious relationship with nature and the universe as a whole. What's fascinating is that in 2017, the Nobel Prize for medicine and physiology was won by three U.S. scientists that discovered the molecular mechanism, in other words, the aspect of each of our cells that continually takes the information about light and darkness and changes in light and continually adjusts every aspect of our being so we're dancing beautifully with Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. In other words, light is continually guiding us toward optimal wellness and yet we think we have to make it happen right right so it's it's there there's something magnificent going on which i attempt to share in the book there's something that's literally guiding every aspect of life on a continual basis sure what we're looking for we were actually born with yeah you say that so beautifully and you know jacob as i think about this this very, very organic process, if left alone, I think we would be, if we leave it alone, and if left alone, we'd be so much better off. And yet it seems that there's such a depletion of natural light these days for myriad reasons, I'm sure. Uh, what's happening there in your, from your perspective, if you would comment on that? Well, I mean, it's happened on many levels. We've become an indoor culture. 
prior to the year 1900, over 90% of the population of the U.S. worked outdoors. So we all got our minimum daily requirement of light. As of 1990, more than 90% of the population works indoors mm -hmm. with artificial air, with artificial light, with artificial sound. We are being bombarded by something that the body doesn't know exactly how to deal with. So <clears throat> on one level, we are light deprived. Mm -hmm. On another level, we have been indoctrinated to believe that we're supposed to solve life's issues and problems through a process of using the mind, what we call thinking. If you examine the process of what we call thinking, you immediately realize that most of our thinking is not what people consider creative most of our thinking is just worrying. It's an attempt to try to figure things out internally so that things work out our way mm -hmm. because we, do, we don't want to be uncomfortable. But very rarely do we ask the question, is that true? Do we actually solve problems through this process or do we actually impede right. the process of self-discovery? And so uh, when I first went into practice, uh, my specialty was working with infants and children, and specifically children who had been diagnosed and labeled as having some sort of learning or reading problem. And if people, you know, at that time people did exercises and they tutored them and so on and what I discovered because I had the opportunity to work with many many thousands of these children is I found that they were brilliant but they were so used to trying so hard that all their internal thought processes and all the effort if, as you said all the work we did with our will was actually obstructing the answers coming to them free of charge. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I had to develop ways of allowing these children to self-discover the genius within them. And by the way, the word genius means my guiding element, wow, my yeah. guiding spirit. That's the original meaning of the word genius. We have a guiding spirit. so. I would help these children uh, through an exploration process to uncover the fact that what they call thinking, which we've all been indoctrinated to do, actually causes everything to shut down. Hmm. It's only when the thinking stops that the thing we're trying to remember comes by itself. Right. And I've heard you talk about the the... When someone says someone's name is right on the tip of my tongue, and right. you, you explain how you know there's a there's a push to try it's right there I know I can get it let me go ahead and get it, but uh, invariably it it flees. It's something else that you said that I think kind of jives with with all of this that you're talking about, and I love this. You say that insight comes to you, not from you. 
Insight right. comes to you, not from you. And I think that's powerful. And I think it's true. Would that not be intuition? Intuition, instinct. Oh, I had a, um, uh, what's the word they use? I had an epiphany. An epiphany, yeah. <laughs> oh, my belly brain, you know. All of those are expressions that have to do with the fact that there is a sense of knowing. But the insight or the intuition isn't something that I created or came from uh, somewhere within my physiology. Let me see if I can explain this and you'll understand. Uh, your, uh, the readers will get a sense of it. Mm -hmm. You use the word will earlier. <clears throat> we try to will our way. And of course, everybody says, well, you know, we have free will. And everyone says, oh, well, of course. And I say, are you sure? Are you sure that we can make choices, that we do make choices? And this for me is a very important question because we've been indoctrinated to believe this is the case, but we rarely experiment to say, is that true? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I share in the book is that there's been a, a whole horde of gold standard research done with the most sophisticated brain MRIs in the world that look at when an individual is asked to make a decision about something, when is that decision made? Now you would think if I have free will, then the decision is made at the moment I say, oh, I just came to my decision or I just made a choice, or maybe just a little bit before that. But interestingly, when you look at the brain <clears throat> and you take a look when the actual decision is um, recorded within the brain, you discover that somewhere between seven to 11 seconds before we are even aware of choosing or making a choice, the brain has already recorded the choice that we later become aware of and is moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really profound because then you have to really ask the question, do things work the way we think that they work? And so this insight you speak of which we later become aware of, is part of the same process. And I spoke to you before about, I mentioned that every aspect of our biology and physiology is light dependent. And that light is continually guiding us into a state of harmony with life. Let's talk about how that works. Mm -hmm. There are 37.2 trillion cells in the body, and all these cells have eyes. <clears throat> these eyes are designed to detect and respond to light. Light is not the brightness we see out our windows. Light is totally invisible, and when a quantum physicist tries to 
assess the behavior of light, interestingly enough, they notice that light behaves in the same way that Bible describes God. Being mm-hmm. omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, light behaves the same way, and it moves at the speed of light. So what we know about the cells of our body is that they respond to the formless um, elementary uh, energy of this universe called light before it has been rendered into form. So intuition is this first sense of something and quite a while later the mind says, oh, I know how that works. In fact, I thought it up. (laughs) It didn't think it up at all. Excuse me. We just become aware of it after the fact. And the intuition is when something inside notices it but the change has already been going on for quite a while in the book I speak about experiences that I've had in the middle of the night where I was aware of myself sleeping and breathing and I was also aware of something that later turned out to be exactly the case a year later in my life. Now, I can't explain how this works. I, you know, I don't have any more magical powers than anyone that's listening today. But the reason I share these things is we all have experiences that we cannot explain. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Intuition is one of those synchronicities that occur. It's another, there are so many things that are unexplainable from our way of seeing life and the value of sharing them is it allows us to see the enormity of our humanity. Agreed, yeah. And and the fact that we're not limited by time and space and a lot of these constructs that we routinely speak about. And so the book is... uh, is really sharing with 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 the audience something some of the things that I've stumbled upon mm-hmm. in the last 45 50 years that has so profoundly impacted my life my wellness my health without literally doing anything amazing it, you know and that to me is is something that's profound and we need to look at it's profound and it's perennial, Jacob, is what I would say. It's just that you have, again, such a way of articulating through your own anecdotes and marrying the science with that that just makes it really, really profound and will uh, hopefully inspire many of us to to go and take a look. I think the main message is going back to don't look for the light because the light will find you. We are naturally right. magnetized to each other. Right. Let's talk about synchronicity. You brought that up, and that that's going to be my prompt for you to tell an amazing story that is in your book that I read probably three times. And it has to do with a gentleman who found his identical twin brother through what appeared to be a chance meeting in a bar one night in Ohio. 
would you share the story with us? And we talked offline and I said, make sure you remember that story. And if not, I'll help you out because <laughs> I've read it about three times. It is, I want the journeyers, I want everyone out there to take this in. And then maybe we can bring this back to how does this all relate to what we're talking about? <clears throat> do you know what I'm talking about here? The yeah, story? yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I'll try to do my best to remember it. Um, okay. I'll help you out if you don't. <laughs> before the book Luminous Life was written, um, I had a feeling to write a, another book. And the title that came to me was Seeing Through the Eyes of God. And I don't know where that title came from. And what I was trying to share in that book are these um, experiences, if you will, that all of us have at one time or another where we get a sense maybe about our son or our daughter we pick up the phone and our daughter says oh mommy or oh daddy i was just thinking about you or we have some sort of event in life that we cannot explain where something became clear to us it almost we we got a glimpse of of something astounding you might say for that moment, we were able to see through the eyes of God. Not, not that we did it, but we just had one of these profound moments. And this story was one of those that, that came to me after speaking to many different people about these astounding things. And what occurred was that this man was really having a rough time in his life. And he went to a bar. And he was sitting and having a drink and speaking to the bartender, as many people do, <clears throat> and just telling him what a difficult time he was going through. And the bartender says to him, you know what you need to do? You need to go fishing in Alaska. Hmm. And the guy says, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He says, I know a guy that will take you to an island where you can just be by yourself for two or three days just fishing and I'm telling you it'll change your life and for some reason or other the story stuck with him and eventually he made a reservation he flew out to Alaska he contacted this particular person who picked him up in this very rickety little boat and took him through all these incredible islands and dropped him off on this island with all the fishing gear and whatever he would need, a tent and so on, for his two or three days. And so he was out there fishing and doing whatever. And three days later, the fisherman shows up to pick him up. And... Um, I don't remember all of the details, but there was another man on the little boat that was also there, and they were going back, and um, the guy says to him, he calls him out by a certain name. Jesse. I think it was Jesse. Yeah. This is where I'll fill in if needed. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the guy says, what are you talking about? He says, come on, Jesse. I know it's you. And... Um, the guy says, I, I'm not Jesse. My name is so-and-so. You must have me, you know, confused with someone else. He says, that's impossible. 
uh, and he says, I know someone by that name that just looks exactly like you. And the guy all of a sudden stops and he says, oh my God, I had a twin brother and we got separated very early in life and I've been trying to find him and I have no idea where he's at or anything. And he said, and then he says, and I think his name was Jesse or mm -hmm. whatever it was mm -hmm. in the book. I don't remember all the details. Anyway, as it turned out, this guy on the boat connected him with his long lost brother. Mm -hmm. uh, and they and they reconnected. And so here's a true story of something that we say, that's impossible. That's a miracle. And for me, the beauty of this is that these things we call miracles are happening all the time. All the time. And they come to us free of charge. And, you know, when, when I was a kid in school, the teachers would say, your first impression is always the right one. You know, that your first intuition, mm -hmm. even before the mind gets engaged, is always right on the money. Or they used to say, oh, Johnny knows it by heart. By heart. I thought at the time was, oh, they got it memorized. But no, they know it in a very different way. And so what it reminds me is that we are continually receiving little insights. I'll give you an example. I was in California just two weeks ago. I'm driving with my wife back toward Los Angeles. And um, we stop in a little Pete's Coffee to get some coffee and I order a coffee and I'm standing waiting and the fellow behind the counter says to me uh, do you need any room for cream in that I said no no I'll take it black and I look at this young man and his head is bald and he's got a beard that sort of starts with where his sideburns would be mm -hmm. and as I look at him I see an elderly man with bald head and a white beard but the same facial structures. And I say to the, and I get the sense that this is something Middle Eastern, hmm. that the person is Middle Eastern. And so I say to him, where are you from? And he says, uh, oh, I, I'm from Carpinteria, this little town that was nearby. I said, well, where's your family from? Well, they're originally from Mexico, and there's a, also a, a tribe of Indians called Chinquateras or something like that that are part of my bloodline. I said, oh, and he said, oh, yeah, and there's, there's some part of my bloodline that is somewhere in the Middle East. <laughs> and I said to him, and he said, why do you ask? I said, because I just saw your grandpa. And he said, what? And I said, he looks just like you, had bald head, and his beard was just like yours, but white. <laughs> and he said, you're right, that's what I was told. And the guy looked at me with a sparkle in his eye, and it was in that moment, it was like there was a love affair. It's like we merged in a very special way, <laughs> and I left. I'll never see this person again, but I feel like our lives were changed 
through that one instance where we just merged. merged. And I don't know how that occurred, but that happens in my life almost every day. Really? I can connect with someone in a coffee shop or on a plane or yeah. in the midst of my travels, and each time I'm like astounded. You know, now most people, if you saw someone and you had a flash like that, you'd pay no attention to it. That's right. But you not you. Wouldn't, you <laughs> follow through with it. But whenever this happens, I follow it and I see where it takes me and it always takes me home. Isn't that something? This goes back, Jacob, to your initial edict. And that is the light and life are looking for us. And all we have to do is follow its path. And that's what you're doing. And that's the magic that is implicit in our lives if we just get out of our way, right? It's just, it's you just, know, you know. Um, the the main thing is we have all been indoctrinated. We have been conditioned from the time we were born. Keep in mind when a baby comes out of its mother, that baby has no sense of self, has no there's no sense of I'm a boy or I'm a girl or I'm Catholic or I'm Jewish or I'm Muslim or or my skin is white or my skin is brown. We have no preferences. We are living in oceanic bliss, as Carl Jung said. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is the moment we come out of our mothers, you know, a boy is wrapped up in a blue blanket and a little girl in pink. Mm -hmm. And immediately there's a difference. And that's the very first conditioning. And then the boy is given a name that's different than the, than the name of a girl. And it goes on from there. And all of a sudden, we become some idea of the culture which is very different than our essence. And so our whole life based on our conditioning and the reason the mind is so active is we want to make sure we do the right thing and we get a prize for doing the right thing we get rewarded for doing the right thing rather than doing something that society says oh you can't do that and so the reason we are addicted to continually trying to figure things out is because we're terrified that if we don't do it the way we were conditioned, that we are going to be uh, hurt or we are going to be in some way scorned. And so this is the opportunity to see through that and to see the miraculousness uh, that occurs in our life when we're able to see beyond our beliefs and when we begin living without a net. Mm -hmm. Wise words, for sure. And like I said to you offline, Jacob, I do believe that people are finding themselves with a hunger to um, reacquaint themselves with that essence. At some level, we all know these things. But sure, because the indoctrination has been so ironclad for so long throughout generations, I wonder if it's if it's not in our DNA at this point, <laughs> some part of it. 
that it, it does seem to take a lot of effort to undo that indoctrination, that conditioning. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, there's some magic happening. I, I, I say we're living in dichotomous times because I think that there's, you know, seven and a half million people still, I would say the majority are of that indoctrination. But there's a greater amount that are that are tr- that are doing what we're listening to the things that you're saying and wanting so uh so uh, authentically to get back to to that approach. So you're doing some great work. And I can't believe we're out of time. Doggone it. I, <laughs> I, doggone it, as my mother used to say. I had so many more questions I wanted to ask. But I always say prior to every show, dearest, dearest, greatest spirit, let this go where it needs to go in order for the benefit of those who will be listening. And I know there was a lot of benefit in what you had to say. So thank you. And we can always well, do it again. Well, we shall. Uh, there you go. It's on I the record. So. It's on the record, guys. So he's coming back. <laughs> but in the meantime, I am going to invite everyone, absolutely everyone, to pick up a copy of Jacob Lieberman's fantastic volume, Luminous Life, How the Science of Life Unlocks the Art of Living. And we will, of course, make sure to have a link for you to get the book either in hard copy, ebook, or audiobook formats, which are all available on Amazon. Tell us, Jacob, where else we can learn more about your wonderful work and what you have coming up before we close out. Uh, if people go to my website, which is Jacob Lieberman, and that's L-I-B as in boy, E-R-M-A-N dot org, O-R-G, um, they can see um, exactly what I'm up to. It, this is not a marketing site. We're not interested in selling you stuff. <clears throat> we just want to share things that we believe are, are valuable. There's a lot of... Um, uh, little excerpts there from talks hmm. uh, that people can just listen to my Facebook page. Um, we share a lot of very fascinating things there. And um, uh, where what people might be interested in uh, in regards to our conversation today is my work with color. Yes, we didn't get to talk about that. We that is very profound because that can help us to get to the place where our relationship with life is fuller, and Mm -hmm. the things that used to trigger us, we become more and more desensitized from. But these are the kind of things shared on the site. Great, people can visit and uh, and have a good time with it. Wonderful. Well, that's something that I think would warrant a whole show. And that's your work in color homeopathy. Oh, there was a whole slew of things. Well, you know what, we let it go where it needed to go. And there's more time, uh, whether linear or not, it's there. (laughs) So we will have you back for sure. Well, listen, I want to remind the journeyers, if you enjoyed this episode, and particularly if you know someone who could benefit from learning more about how light plays such an integral role in our lives, I urge you to like and share this content with your circle of friends and family. As you just heard, Dr. Lieberman's approach to our understanding and grasping the larger spectrum of what light represents in our life is invaluable, don't you think? So please share and spread the word. And of course, if you enjoy Higher Journeys, I invite you to subscribe to our channel for brand new episodes each and every week. Well, Mr. Lieberman and Maui, what are you going to do yes. the rest of the day? You got, you're got you behind us, so you've got the whole day ahead of you. You're going to head to the beach. What are you going to do? 
<laughs> I think I'm going to treat myself to breakfast and just see what interesting people I meet today. There you go. I have a feeling you're going to meet a few. You've just primed I it. Can't so. wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been a true pleasure and a treat, and we will have you back on. So I'm glad you've accepted in advance. So thank you, and thank you for a beautiful, beautiful discussion today. My I... my pleasure, and have a grateful day. You as well. Thank you. And thanks, journeyers. We'll talk to you real soon. Take care.